Capital FM Moscow. We speak English. We play the hits. Gentlemen, boys and girls, I am Alan Moore, and you are most welcome to Europe's number one English language radio sports show, Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. We have great news for you all. We are back to two hours tonight. Yoo-hoo! So we will be going right through to 11 p.m. Listen, I hope you're all set for the very best views, news, reviews, previews, interviews. 
and of course the world of sports. So for the next two hours, relax, chill out and be ready to dance or move as we also have a Super Sunday music mix for you as well. Now listen, just what is in my homemade tasty baked pie? Well, we're going to start off in just a moment with Andrew Flint who has been covering the Hungary-Russia game for us in Budapest. He's going to speak about Russian football and also just the new format of the Russian Cup and if it's, well, interesting, shall we say. Okay, then in part two, we're going to go to Dublin to speak with Virgin Media's Jonathan Higgins. He's going to give us the down low on the English Premier League, of course, which is starting next week and a lot more besides. In part three, Andy Mack is back and he's with Isil Cody. They're going to talk football, Matt Letizia, a moment of magic and surprise, and of course a sports roundup. In part four, we're going to go to North America for a roundup with Alex B, but of course Andy Mack and Eastwood will be staying on for that as well to give us a bit of a dig out, because of course we have to control Alex very, very um, strictly, shall we say. Um, not strictly come dancing, but strictly. Okay, in part five, well listen, we're going to be very messy. Messy, Lionel Messi, because last week we speculated on where he would end up. However, our friends at Goal.com got the scoop to shock the world because, of course, Messi is staying put. Senior editor uh, Peter Staunton, of course, a great friend of Russia, a great friend of the show. He is going to talk Messi's Catalan catch and a lot, lot more, especially in English football. In part six, folks, get ready for it. We have our big, fat, filthy quiz because we have Alex B, Bozambia, Isolt, Andrew Flint and Double N vying for the prize of top dog. Okay, right away we're going to go to Andrew Flint. So Andrew, what's the story? Was it Russian glory or Magyar glory? (laughs) Well, it was a successful evening, but only just for Russia. They went 3-0 up and looked to be coasting 3-0 up just after halftime, a few seconds after the break in fact. Uh, but they took their foot off the pedal. Hungary came back with two goals. But then, almost inexplicably, they took off Dominic Soboslai, who is easily their best player, who was causing a lot of problems for Russia. Uh, he looked very frustrated on the bench as his teammates couldn't quite get that dramatic equaliser. So, Russia finished with two wins in the first two UEFA Nations League games. Listen, um, the game, of course, okay, today they got away with it against a team that, you know, no, listen, let's just start off with this. You predicted that Russia were going to win both games. You did set up here last week. So if anyone listened and uh, put money on it, they, they're, 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 they're quids in right now. Um, okay, let's step back to the Serbia game. I mean, it was out in Dinamo. Uh, Russia were by far the better team. But I also thought that Serbia didn't do themselves justice. They didn't really, you know, kind of um, come to win the game. It looked like they were set up to just you know get a draw. Yeah, it was quite surprising because I definitely saw Serbia and I still do see them as the next best side in the UEFA Nations League group. They've got some quality players there. You've got Dusan Tadic, who's got to Champions League semi-final. Um, recently, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. These are quality playmakers. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic, English viewers and listeners will know very well from his time with Fulham. Uh, a really good striker and they got a really solid midfield. I was surprised they sat back so much uh, and especially when you consider that Russia's forward line had a combined age of 100 and, but they were comfortable in the end. And I have to give a quick nod of cap to Stanislav Chichesov here because he said before the game, Vyacheslav Karavayev playing on the left of defence when he's a right-footed, he's right-back. He said he's good at cutting in. What did he do? He cut inside and a peach of a goal. So really, really well managed that game by Russia. 
Okay, now today's game. Um, all right, so you know that win. You know, win is a win is a win against uh, Serbia at home. Against Hungary, did we see maybe some chinks in the uh, armour for Russia today? Because I mean, there was some lovely build-up and assist play from Artyom Juba, for example. I thought he was very, very good. I thought Anton yeah. Marantz, of course, who got in the goal sheet, very, very good. You did say last week that he was now going to step up and come into his own now that his brother has fec- well, sorry, has gone off to Italy. Um, you know, <laughs> do, do you think that the, that? That Russia, like you know, that they this is a complete side, or they have a lot more to uh, develop. They've certainly got more room to develop. Uh, Alexander Golovin, of course, is injured, so when he comes into the side, it adds another dimension to their fluidity moving forwards. I think it was an improved performance. This is going to sound slightly odd, given that they conceded twice. Um, because they scored three goals again, but they did so slightly more comfortably. And they were very, very good on the break for the first hour or so of the game. Um, Juba didn't score, but he was involved in most of the moves forward. And I think we are close to seeing what Russia could be, but we still have more room to go. Alexei, of course, when he comes back, Alexei Miranchuk and uh, Golovin, the key people to come back in. Um, so there's room for improvement. That's the good news. Of course, Cherishev wasn't there as well. So, I mean, there is that, like, that, that extra talent that, you know, the kind of the, um, someone who can inspire the team as well and produce a moment of magic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking also at the goalkeeping situation. Okay. So, Akinfaev, mm-hmm. okay. Akinfaev, Akinfaev, um, off the scene, Shunin, uh, Guilherme, of course, not preferred, uh, which Ilya Gurkos, actually, of course, his former boss at Lokomotiv, basically said that, no, it, it will be Shunin. Um, do you think that this is the way that Churchess is going to go? He prefers Shunin? He, he's a bit more reliable? Like, and, and today, of course, he led in two goals, but you know, the defence in front of him were a little bit ropey. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't put the blame at Shunin's door for, for tonight's goals conceded. And I think he is a far more reliable keeper than Guilherme. Although what I think is interesting about this international break is that arguably two better goalkeepers are playing in the under-21s. Now, Shunin has the experience. You can't go far wrong with him. But when you've got Matvey Safinov and Alexander Maximienko in the under-21s, you've got a really promising you know, young generation coming through. So Shunin, for now, certainly is the preferred person. And we can see Tchetsov likes his experience. So it's understandable. And he's been vindicated. He's got two wins out of two. Um, I just wonder when he's going to start bringing the younger keepers through. Yeah. Again, you know, keepers, I mean, you get one in a generation, the likes of Akinfaev, who can, you know, step up at 16, 17 years of age. Cherchesov as a goalkeeper himself, and a very, like, I mean, I saw him playing, and he was a, a like, as in, in Austria, I saw him playing live. Um, and he's a solid, you know, he was a solid keeper himself. Um, made a couple of like howlers if you if you if you look up uh, Champions League Chelsea and Spartak. I mean, there's one goal in that that you know. Uh, I think that uh, the well, there should be people looking into it. Anyway, um, stepping on from that, uh, before we go on to the Russian Cup, of course, which is you know overhauled and it looks very tasty, especially for my Volgogolyanovsk and uh, your Oral as well. Um, the League of Nations, okay, so let's not talk about what we went before because Andy Mack is going to cover that. But later on tonight, uh, we have another bunch of games. So, folks, if you want to ask Andrew a question or any of our people later on a question, plus seven ninety five one 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 zero five three, just send us a message on WhatsApp, for example, and we will ask them. Um, Spain, Ukraine, Sweden, uh, sorry, Switzerland against Germany. Uh, of course, Ireland just went down one 
nil at home, so that's a terrible start for them. Wales uh, in injury time, getting past Bulgaria. Bulgaria, of course, who drew one moment Ireland in midweek. Uh, Slovenia beating Moldova our neighbours 1-0 Andorra going down to a crack of a free kick from the Faroe Islands uh, Malta playing Latvia later on and of course Kosovo playing Greece as well and Serbia Turkey in the Russian group playing a bit later on as well um, Andrew what, which one of these next games when you're still with us later on on air which will you be watching? I'll certainly be keeping an eye on Serbia against Turkey for, for obvious reasons being in, in Russia's group but uh, I mean, you mentioned that Faroe Islands goal. What a cracker it was. And I actually like the lower leagues in the UEFA Nations League because there's so many potential results to come out of that. Malta against Latvia could be quite an interesting one because there's a lot of, com- there's a, there's a lot of incentive for them. If they come top of their group, they have a chance of, of qualification. It's a long-winded one, but it's, um, but, it's, but it's there. I think that could be an interesting time. Okay, um, just one more little question before we go away. Uh, that slip that led to Juba's cracking goal against Serbia look a bit dodgy? No comment. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it. Listen, Russian Cup, tell us what's happened with the Russian Cup. It's sponsored now by Bet City. So, what has happened to the Russian Cup very, very quickly in one minute? Well, instead of a straight knockout, we now have group stages. That's the biggest change. And that is the next stage that we will be at. So there will be 10 groups with three teams in each. And each of those 10 groups will have a Russian Premier League side with two other lower league sides. The winner of each of those groups will go through to the next stage where the top six from last year's Russian Premier League will join them. And so... It's going to give some very interesting ties because the uh, the Russian Premier League sides in those group stages will, as usual, have to play away from home and some of them have a long way to go. Spartak Moscow have a reasonably favourable draw, I would suggest, because they have Borodino Moscow in their group. So, of course, not very far to travel. Um, but it does give a slightly more direct route to the latter stages for some of these teams because all they need is that one positive result against the top flight side and suddenly they are only three steps away from the final. Okay, uh, that, that is good. So, okay, so we're going to follow them, of course, when it all kicks off. Uh, Premier League is back this weekend, Andrew. Before I do, I want to ask you, I have a question in from, let me see, it is from Vasya. Uh, Vasya asks, will Russia top the group? I think now, yes, after beating Serbia, I think they have room for a draw later on, but I think, yes, they will now. Okay, Vasya, there you go. They will top the group. Take it as written. Okay, uh, very, very quickly, this weekend, uh, Dinamo, uh, this coming weekend, Dinamo are home to Rubin. That is kicking off at uh, 4.30. Siska, Spartak, Moscow Derby, 7 o'clock up in Siska. Um, then you have, well, Zenit Arsenal, that's on Monday, but on also on Monday, Monday night, Rostov Lokomotiv, uh, 8.30. Um, let's just talk quickly about Siska, Spartak. That, that is going to be a cracker because Siska are a team, you know, they're sitting in mm-hmm. fifth. If they win that game, uh, they, you know, they're only a point behind Spartak. Uh, Spartak could lose a league or lose a title, I should say. Um, it, it's, 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 that's the game of the weekend, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Undoubtedly. And especially since Spartak are so fired up and, you know, going into the international break top of the table, first time in over, what, a thousand days, I think it is. Um, Tiscar have, for a long time, they've had a point to prove because they've slightly flattered to deceive, in my opinion, but they have the firepower in Nikola Vlasic. 
Um, they have the new signings who are still to gel in. Uh, Bruno Fuchs, I believe, should be back from injury, but unconfirmed as of yet. Um, Ejuke up front, can't wait to see how he comes into it. So it really is anybody's game. And a derby, well, the Moscow derbies in recent years have been, have been crackers. So I definitely think that is the game to watch this weekend. OK, of course, there are rumours that Nikola Vlasic might be moving to uh, a team in the Russian Prem- or the English Premier League. So let's, because, of course, he was with Everett before. So let's see what mm-hmm. happens there. Uh, Loco, if they beat Rostov, OK, they are going to propel themselves up the table. They will at least be in, well, at least in fifth position or sixth position, I should say. Um, Loco need, need to, to, to get something out of that. They need a point. They, they, they can't come away empty-handed from the south coast. Absolutely. They, they've lost a lot of ground already. And that's one of the things, I think, that makes the Russian Premier League such a great league to watch. Only 30 games. You know, two or three re- uh, games of, you know, positive form and you can go straight up the table in two or three games of, of dropping points and suddenly the pressure's on straight away. Only six games in, but Loco have a real pressure on. No wins in four. And of course, if Alexei Milanchuk leaving, how they will cope with that remains to be seen but I actually think they won't be too far off because Anton I think is going to step up so they cannot afford like you say to drop points here Okay uh, Dinamo at home to Rubin Rubin kind of like you know, they, they, they're, they're up and down I mean they went and bet Cescar, um, you know but they're struggling a little bit in the middle of the table on the same uh, well two two wins two draws two losses the same as Krasnodar and Lokomotiv um, you'd fancy Rubin to at least get a point out of that game wouldn't you? Well, they've been a very strange side this season. They've, they've nobody has scored more goals than them, which is unusual considering last season they only managed, I think, 16 or 17 goals all season. And their problem has been conceding them, which is not something you normally associate with them. But that threat in front of goal is something new for them. Creature uh, Kradaskelia has been... Well, he can beat men for fun, so Dinamo have to watch him very closely. Uh, Georgia Despotovic getting a couple in the last round, that was good for him to get off the mark. So suddenly, Rubin have a goal for it, and that's not something most teams have had to deal with. So I think Dinamo have to be careful there. They okay. will assume they are in control, but not a given. Okay, and of course, uh, Ural uh, hosting Himki, so you're looking basically at Ural to get a win out of that one. I'd be extremely disappointed if they didn't after Stefan Strandberg has signed the defence is even tighter than before now, so they have to win. All right, listen, Andrew, we'll talk to you, of course, in part six of the show for the big, fat, filthy quiz. And uh, you take care, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Okay, that was uh, Andrew Flint. Of course, we're going to come back to him in part six. We're going to go out... And folks, if, even if you're lying in bed right now and you're listening, thinking, OK, Alan, come on, get onto the song, get onto the song. This is one that's going to get you moving. This is going to get the blood moving and it's going to motivate you for when we're talking to Jonathan Higgins in just a moment. This is one of our favourites. This is a, a, a floor filler. This is a stadium bouncing song. This is Mika and Grace Kelly back with Jonathan Higgins. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. I want to talk to you. The last time we talked, Mr. Smith, you reduced me to tears. I promise you it won't happen again. Do I attract you? Do I repulse you with my queasy smile? Am I too dirty? Am I too flirty? Do I like what you like? I could be wholesome, I could be loathsome, guess I'm a little bit shy. Why don't you like me? Why don't you like me without making me try? I try to be like Grace Kelly. Little Freddy, mm, I got an entity in my I could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violent, I could be 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I hope you enjoyed that little ditty from Mika, especially to one ladies out in the Urals. Hope you're feeling a little bit better after that song and a wee bit more pumped up. Okay, um, again, plus 795-1111053 for your questions in. We're going to go now to Dublin to Jonathan Higgins of Virgin Media and a lot more besides because, of course, he is someone who, right before lockdown, we had he was brilliant with us. He's always great with us. He's going to be one of our regulars now looking at the English Premier League uh, and more besides. So I welcome straight onto the show to this lovely Moscow evening, Jonathan Higgins. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm pretty pumped after listening to that music. I just want to, will we just grab a taxi and head into town? Listen, I'll tell you something. I wouldn't be bothered about social distancing after li- listening to Mika. I'd be just bopping. Like, you, you have to put me off the bar. <laughs> I'd spot the two Irish at the bar. It's not hitting any cliches at all at all. Of course not, yeah. We're like straight away talking, let's go into town, let's go get it. Well, okay. We better, well, it is after the watershed, so we can't talk about alcohol. So um, we'll leave it at that. Listen, Jonathan, um, before we start off, um, I want to ask you, how, how are things now, now that things have, like lockdown has eased off a wee bit? Because you've been covering a lot of sports. Has it gotten back to any decent level so far? Um, it's a very weird one. Ireland, I suppose, no, no doubt, similar to you guys, is in a very strange position as we're kind of in a, a transitional stage, um, stage at the moment. And without getting too political, we have a new government in place and it's it's pretty much a home split government. So there's been a, a lot of confusion, a lot of conflicting information and just kind of leading into almost uh, frustration and nobody, everybody's just cheesed off and annoyed. And we had a situation where up until recently, you were allowed 200 people to attend a sporting 
an event which was manageable but not kind of still not ideal but we kind of got on with that you kind of still had your core set of supporters and officials and you know everyone involved kind of got to go got away we were just kind of settling into that and then all of a sudden the government pulled the rug on that and now there's no guests uh, or anybody allowed to attend sporting events so that's a lot annoyed a lot of people and everybody's comparing you know well I can go to a pub or I can go to a restaurant or I can go to, you know, a, a mass ceremony or, you know, a Christian ceremony or something like that, but I can't go to a sporting event. So that's led to a, a lot of frustration. I guess I've been, I consider myself extremely, extremely lucky. I've still been allowed in to cover games and stuff like that, So which is a, it's a huge novelty. It's a little bit surreal uh, without, you know, a crowd being there, but very, very blessed to see some live sport in action. So it's, a, it's, it's the old cliche, it's very strange times here at the moment. Okay, um, here, of course, we're allowed certain percentage. Well, it, it will be increased, and it depends, of course, on regions as well. Uh, percentage of people in the stadium. So today I was training with the Moscow Shamrocks out at Lokomotiv Stadium, and they had youth games because, you know, for example, Dinamo were in town to play, well, across the other side of town, to play Lokomotiv youths, and they would play, say, four, I think it was four age categories on one day against each other. And the, the stands were you know, pretty full. I mean, um, I think they, they were allowed 20% of the stands and there was a lot of people in. Um, now, of course, as you mentioned that, you know, there are no fans out in the stadium. Will that be changed anytime soon? Will, like, can can some fans attend games? Because, of course, the GAA has asked questions about the Gaelic, uh, Gaelic Sports Association in Ireland. Um, in your opinion, do you think it's wise to, to keep fans away from games? It's a strange one. Like uh, initially, it was it was kind of met the message wasn't communicated great, and everybody was at up in arms straight away. And then afterwards, um, some of the health advisors to the government explained a bit more that it wasn't necessarily their belief that the the danger, the risk occurred in the stadiums itself. It was the whole transportation towards the game, it was kind of the gathering and the, and the excess, I suppose, stress that is putting on on all types of facilities, which. It's probably kind of what we are at this situation where as much as it pains us, sport is down the list. And that's horrible for me to say because I love nothing more than going to a sporting game. If you're ever trying to find me, most likely I'll be at some form of sporting <laughs> occasion. But it's a, it's a, it's once it's kind of explained, people can kind of go, oh, uh, yeah, maybe okay so much. But I, I just don't know. We, we, we're getting conflicting information all the time. It, there is a kind of an onus to try and, uh, it appears to try and get, uh, businesses and, and pubs and restaurants uh, more and more open so I would imagine it will come soon but interesting there today there's a there's an article in the, time, the Irish Times here today the Sunday Irish Times where it appears that the GEA are making plans to proceed with their um, the hurling and the and the and the football intercounty championships behind closed doors. So that is that's quite worryingly because like you're you're looking at a scenario where the, those games start just around the, the middle to end of October and will proceed for a couple of weeks. So if they're looking at that, they're obviously getting some hints from from the people they're being delegated and liaison with. So that doesn't fill you uh, with much promise that we will see crowds here soon. So I think we're very much going to uh, have to wait and see on that regard here. OK, listen, Jonathan, looking across then, of course, to England, of course, the first match day weekend, of course, we've got, um, well, <laughs> there's two games postponed already on Saturday, Burnley Man, Man United and, of course, Man City, uh, Aston Villa. Um, looking at the league overall, so like so far, because we have, of course, the, the the series of games, opening weekend of games. The big one kind of kicking off is London Derby, Fulham, Arsenal. But then you've got Liverpool and Leeds, and that, of course, is an absolutely fascinating encounter. Um, do you think that uh, Liverpool, they, you know, that with this lockdown, with the break, that 
they're going to come, you know, hit the ground running? It's very difficult to say because I think you, you had an extremely good article on it, which got a, a lot of attention. May I say, <laughs> not all positive. Got sent, got, got a, I've got I got sent it by various uh, uh, Liverpool angry fans at uh, quite quite a number of times. I kind of lost count how many times it was sent on to me as as if I was some spokesperson for you or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> my agent in Ireland, which, you know, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. I, I wish I was, <laughs> but. Uh, like you, t- you did touch on some very good points there, uh, away from the uh, the dramatic say the side of it. But <laughs> um, no, in terms of like nobody knows what this, the way the season kind of stopped and then restarted and then ended abruptly, and now we've a situation where there's an international window happening as well. It's it's very hard to so like the momentum that Liverpool would have got potentially from you know winning the league last season has pretty much been wiped under the counter completely and uh, you know, we're almost starting at scratch and you saw that since when the football returned in various leagues it was very hard to predict any games there was there was no real pattern to it there was kind of so many elements were so many were so unknown that it then it developed to a situation where it was games were going always and it was very hard to predict and like we still don't even know simple things like players fitness um this is kind of a well, you'd kind of see some little similar things where you know players might have a long European run with their team, and then there might be a Euros or or World Cup or something like that, and then there might be a short season. And then we've seen the effect that that would have. Like the biggest one that comes to mind really is a couple of years with, with Spurs, where they had so many you know English players, and then they completely. Um, suffered as a regard to that uh, that kind of the hangover but I guess this time it's spread a bit more and you would have to as you touched on there you would have to fancy the bigger squads because there is going to be muscle injuries it's it's part of the parcel of it um, so it's it's just so strange it's it's so weird in one way it's hard to believe that you know that the season is rest- restarting again and then other part of you is like okay this is great but it's just and then factor in you know the no crowds and stuff like that there's still going to be no crowds in England for for at least the first month or so so it's just so many variables it's I feel like a bit of a mug at time trying to predict it because it almost is trying to predict the unpredictable really yeah again okay well first of all with, with the article I mean I, there was no offence meant I just said that you know with the effort that oh, this, no, you're trying to wind everyone up that was a complete and targeted <laughs> vindication campaign against every Liverpool fan in the country of course, the world. Of course. Yeah. me me who has was celebrating who said last year in October Liverpool have a won folks Liverpool are the best team in England they're the best team in the world they've got it won they've got it won <laughs> I've been I have been from like oh pushing Liverpool I mean I've been criticised by Man City Man United Chelsea um, even some Everton fans saying why are you going easy on Liverpool I'm going I'm not I just think they're a really good side and then I looked at them and you know they've put in a huge amount of effort I think they need to ease back a little bit because the body can only take so much that was my point but anyway um, <laughs> I'll move on look um Looking at the, the, the teams around, uh, one one major issue for Man United, of course, is David De Gea, and you know there, there's rumours that okay, Pogba. Well, we don't know what, what the heck is going on in Pogba's head. He doesn't even know what's going on in his own head. But they're they're talking about uh, De Gea maybe leaving. That he's going to go, say, for example, to Real Madrid. Um, does do do United need to get rid of him? I think what De Gea remains in this form and you know keeps the stature that he has built up because of his wonderful performances over the last couple of years um, it, is, it is an issue because we've seen it recently as well with Spain that kind of we thought it was a blip and then it went on a bit, 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 bit longer and now it seems to be continuing as well where he's kind of making he's making what you call sloppy mistakes and 
goalkeeping position, I think, has been highlighted to absolutely extremes. It was always a position where you made a mistake, it's costly. But now with the evolution of the, the sweep keeper, at times I hate that that cliche, but it is very seen the way at the top level, the small <laughs> margins. Those little things make the big difference. And he's, he was always a player that was never quite that good at the, the ball of his feet. And particularly now you see Solskjaer trying to play such a high line and it does kind of create problems. But where, where do you go in, the, in this market? Who's going to buy someone that's probably everyone can see is maybe possibly, you know, on a little bit of a descent in his, in his career? It's a tricky one. And with it, and then the way the current market is, like, Remedy was always the scenario, but, you know, they've pulled out of a couple of big moves recently as well. They seem to be, you know, tightening the, the strings purses as well. So it's it's very difficult. You look, you look around and you, there isn't a glaringly obvious team for him to go to at the moment. And, and that's a factor. And then, we don't know what they're going to do with the likes of Henderson as well I know he signed a new deal but are they going to bring him back is he going to be happy being a number two from the little bit of interview uh, personality that we get an insight into him from various interviews he's done as well he doesn't appear the character I could be completely wrong but he doesn't appear to be the character that will settle to come back to be number two Number two. so it is it's a, it's a difficult situation all of a sudden for Solskjaer where he probably has to go back to one of the what you'd call is the big big decisions that Ferguson had to make all the, uh, not quite regularly but every every now and again in his United wonderful career as, as manager there there was always one one player that he would have to make a big decision on and boot the ball and, and press restart does Sulcher do that now and if it goes wrong it, it's just there's just so many variables here with this one isn't there I know I mean because again I think maybe someone can get into his head and get him back on form but you know again I always thought he was a terrific keeper but he has been dropping and you're right with Henderson he will not want to come back and just you know, kind of like uh, you know warm up with uh, De Gea um, last couple of wee things before we go away Jonathan um, Gareth Bale he might be moving back to England um, and that's what, of course from Real Madrid and also Antoine Griezmann might be moving to England as well because with Messi saying that he's staying in Barcelona uh, a lot of clubs have already started going well hold on like you know United, Arsenal, Liverpool say we want Griezmann um, do you think that either of those will be back in the English Premier League say with, uh, by the end of the month? Well, is there any golfing competitions happening in the UK in the next while? Is there? Is... <laughs> That's a good question. That's very, 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 very cynical of me. <laughs> I would be staggered if if anybody is going to pay the wages that Gareth Bale is on at the moment, and then it's down to him, really, isn't it? And everything we've we've seen and everything he's indicated to date is that he's happy and probably rightly so. To be fair, to you know get the rest of his earnings that he believes he's entitled to for the duration of his contract so I think that deal is going to be quite difficult it's one of those deals where the fee would you'd feel would be quite quite uh, cheap and almost uh, you know no transfer fee but you'd have a huge signing on fee and, and huge expenditure then on his wages so is there teams really going to be um, going to you know have that much of an output um, at the, and again going back to these times you look around the top level clubs is there any clubs there that are going to spend big there'd definitely be clubs that would be interested in if if there was uh, you know if he's willing to take that cut I think the strikingly obvious one is Mourinho bringing him back to, to Spurs. Like, what a boost that would be to the, the Spurs um, squad. Griezmann fascinates me, I have to say. A wonderful, wonderful attacking, talented footballer that's gone stale uh, and probably indicative, really, of how, how stale and how corrupt is too strong a word, but not, not in his, as in 
a, a, you know, a financial way, but just yeah. on the field, how they've become redundant almost in, at times. And he is just, he suffered so badly. So he, he definitely would be a player that I think will have a lot of interest. He's a player I know personally I would love at Liverpool. I, I know they yeah. were linked heavily a couple of years ago. He'd be the perfect sign. And can you imagine him flourishing under, under Klopp? But he, he, Griezmann is a player that he could go to the top six teams in, in the Premier League and thrive. He's, he's really is that good of a player. And I probably hope from, from his point of view that it's probably time for him to get out to, of, of Barcelona as you said particularly with Messi staying if he had Messi had moved on it was the perfect opportunity for him to yeah. push on but obviously that's not going to happen now yeah listen that, dead, dead on I think that with Liverpool he could possibly possibly I think that he could you know, put them at least top two because he has that ability he has that talent fully with you on that Jonathan Jonathan listen we're going to go away thank you so so much and we're going to talk to you again very, very soon and just take care of yourself and thank you again for coming on tonight my pleasure. Great to talk again and talk soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks, John. Okay, that was Jonathan Higgins, of course, on Virgin Media. We're going to go out to the break right now. We're going to chill out just a wee bit, but also kind of, again, get that stadium vibe going, okay? So we're going to be back with Andy Mack and Isil Cody after this, but we're going to go out with Avitsi and Hey Brother. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. There's an endless road to rediscover Hey sister, know the water's sweet but blood is thicker Oh, if the sky comes falling down for you There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that uh, AVC. We're going to go now in just a moment. We're going to go to Moscow and to Dublin to speak with uh, Isol Cody and Andy Mack. Before we do, of course, uh, we do, <laughs> we've had lots of questions in and we also have to, uh, let's just say, wish a happy birthday to someone. So uh, we want to wish a happy birthday from Capital Sports to Lokomotiv and Russia uh, International, Lina Yakupova. Yelena, happy 50th birthday. I know it's not your 50th, but let's just say this. So a very happy birthday from all of us at Capital Sports. Okay, we're going to go straight away uh, to... Well, I'm going to see who is there first because there should be Andy Mack and Isolt Cody. I see Isolt is on the line ready and waiting. Isolt, how are you doing today? We are all very good in Dublin despite our miraculous uh, historic win for the Finns on Irish soil this evening. But apart from that, we're all good. That is good. Andy Mack, are you there with us as well? I'm here. Oh, that is, that is, and that is terrific news here, Bowden. Listen, um, let's just start with, well, Mo Magic. Isolt, the floor is yours. You've got a minute. I have a minute. Uh, well, that is good. So, Mo Farah once again brings astonishing um, endurance to our lives with another record broken. This time it's for the distance travelled in one hour. So he broke the uh, previous record held since 2007 by Geber Selassie, which of course is even more interesting because of himself and Mo Farah's falling out and obviously the former record holder being the head of a anti-doping organisation now. However, Mo broke it um, at 37 years of age by essentially a kilometre in her, or sorry, 0.1 of a kilometre um, in the hour, but what was really remarkable was Mo was behind the previous record holder until his pacemaker left, and with 10 minutes to go, Mo just took off. So his Belgian pacemaker pulled out, and he then took off and proceeded to keep running past the hour, which is just remarkable endurance for a man hitting his 37, nearly 38th year. But to top all of this off, not only is this a great celebration of Mo, but it's also come as we have literally just reached the statute of limitations of eight years on the London Olympics, which passed eight years from basically when any tests were taken at the last Olympics, eight years from the alleged doping incident. And that has passed and Mo is just getting better with age like a fine wine. OK, uh, OK, talking about wine um, or wine even. Uh, Andy, I'm not going to ask you about the Scots. Should we believe in magic like Lance Armstrong once told us? <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently, if if you if you want to believe in magic, uh, if Mo Farah is thirty-seven, I'm I'm encroaching that. I'm not actually sure I could run 0.1 kilometers, let alone beat the, the, the that time by. Um, so yeah, believe in magic. Apparently, yeah. Okay, I mean. All right. Uh, the statute of limitations, of course, that Eastelt has said it has passed. So basically, they cannot retest any further samples from London 2012. There's a lot of athletes in Russia going, oh, thank goodness that's passed. And I'll tell you something. There's a lot of other athletes around the world, including UK athletes who are going, thank you. Thank you for law. OK, um, talking about law, talking about lawless, talking about, um, let's just say, missteps or misspeaks on Twitter. 
Matt Letizia, the former England international, of course, Southampton superstar, uh, had a bit of a kerfuffle, as they would say in Little Britain. Uh, Andy, what on earth was he doing? Uh, quite frankly, the most bizarre apology I've ever seen for a very inappropriate comment. Um, on, on Twitter, he compared um, somebody being told to put a mask on, to put PPE on by uh, authorities to so lockdown being compared to the Holocaust. Effectively, he posted up a tweet about um, Anne Frank uh, being obviously kept in a very different kind of lockdown um, and um, swiftly deleted the post after he was, of course, fired from being a football pundit for, for Sky, Sky Sports. Um, and then shortly afterwards, he posted a video of himself uh, apologising for it, saying that he didn't expect a joke to be taken the wrong way. Uh, and then during the apology, he then switched into uh, talking about his round of golf last week. Um, so it didn't really seem like he took A, the initial tweet seriously, or B, his apology very seriously. But then, I mean, you could say that he's never been a very serious person, but uh, there was always going to be a backlash to it. And that was just, quite frankly, the most bizarre apology I've ever seen. Yeah, I watched that video after you mentioned it, Andy, and I just was like, and at the very end of it, he starts making jokes. It, it just was unbelievable. Um, Andy, going to continue on. Uh, England rescued by VAR. Uh, Raheem Sterling being the man of the moment, of course, against Iceland. England uh, basically were going to grind out a draw, nil-nil, and end up winning 1-0. Um, what was your take on it? Uh, it's the first game that I've watched that I've actually missed VAR. Um, I'm, I mean... It, it was a pretty poor game. Um, as expected, Iceland set their stall out to, to nick whatever they could and, and pack themselves in um, and try to use the, the little bit of talent they do have up front to snatch a goal. But um, there was a Harry Kane goal that clearly um, that clearly didn't take a, a flick off any England player. Uh, he then put it in at the back post. That would have made him the first England player, I think, to score in seven. I think it's seven or eight consecutive games since World War Two. Uh, it was chalked for offside because... The linesman couldn't see that there wasn't a touch because he was blocked, uh, but VAR would have almost certainly given it. Um, and then as the game was was petering out, England were down to 10 men. Raheem Sterling hit a shot that went directly at an Icelandic player who was sent off handball. <clears throat> he then almost attempted to miss a, a, an absolute daisy cutter of a penalty that, that snuck in down the middle. He hit it so softly that the keeper had actually gone and couldn't get back to it. Um, I mean, the refereeing was pathetic. Um, it then went two minutes later it went straight up the other end the referee I think had kind of realised his mistake almost I think and gave a penalty almost immediately to Iceland to even it up uh, the the foul was actually outside the box for starters it then should have been a red card for Joe Gomez who was the last man um, and then um, James Ward-Prowse has been uh, snapped uh, afterwards uh, Gareth Southgate claimed he didn't see it, but he was scuffing up the penalty spot while everyone was arguing over whether it was or wasn't, whether it was meant to be a, a penalty. And then uh, the Icelandic striker stepped up and blazed it over the bar, and that was that. Um, I mean, it just sounds like when you when you have uh, bowlers kind of scuffing up the track in cricket, you know, I mean... Uh, no, I've never done it. I know you would have done it, Andy, because you were that kind of player. Like, you oh, know, I did. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I did it all the time. Yeah, I didn't because I, I, I played clean, fair, and uh, got hit for six <laughs> on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> listen, Isolt, over to you and a swinging arm with Owen Farrell. So, Owen Farrell, 
this has been a long time coming as far as I'm concerned. When we first saw the introduction of the rugby law change, basically where they were saying it, the utmost sanctity or protection has to be given to the head so that any contact would be at a minimum a yellow and in the higher echelons they then it goes to a red. So, of course, Owen Farrell in a game against Wasps decided to, it was probably actually, just to be fair to Owen Farrell, it was one of the more blatant attempts at him attempting to use his arms to tackle, which really says very little because he proceeded to almost clothesline his opposing player who was actually trying to duck down, as was Farrell, but not in any way with good tackling tackling technique. And he got a red card, which means that um, he will in all likelihood be out of the Pro 14 final against Leinster, which is to be held next week. But the interesting thing about this is, I suppose... There was a lot of outcry online from people who clearly haven't been watching Owen Farrell play for the last few years because when the rule was the laws were changed, it was very clear to a lot of people that the first person who would be in danger of their tackling technique alone leading to penalisation was Owen Farrell. And yet it's taken until now to see him get a red card. I would seriously hope that this will cause him to begin to look at his tackling technique because he's actually an exceptional player the fact that he's English I don't actually hold against him I love watching him play but the tackling technique is the biggest flaw in his game and it's something that has such a huge risk and to see it consistently on the highest stage with him um, it's obviously a good thing for Leinster as well even though Saracens would argue that he missed a, a number of games last year he missed a game um, optionally due to his wife giving birth so not having him in the team they would argue is not a big advantage, but psychologically it's a big thing for Leinster. Um, but yeah, hopefully we're going to see a lot less of this. And we saw George North get a red card last weekend for something which wasn't even on the same scale as this. So I'm expecting a lengthy ban. OK, that is good news. Again, Owen Farrell, his dad, of course, is coaching Ireland. He could be playing for Ireland as well, but he chose to slum it and play for England. Um, Andy, talking about slumming it, um, should Owen Farrell be given a lengthy ban for that act of thuggery? Um, I, I, I think you have to set an example now. If, if they're really going to clamp down on, the, on the, the, the type of tackling that should or shouldn't be allowed in rugby and they're introducing it now even from school level, I think you have to make an example of something like that um, and, and stamp it out as quickly as you can. So, yeah, I, I would be giving a lengthy ban for that. Stamp being maybe not the wisest choice of words when talking about rugby, but uh, we'll let that one slide, Andy. Andy uh, and Esau, while you're both here, um, what have the English ladies football team and the Brazilian ladies football team got in common? Hands up. Uh, Esau, go on. That was, I, like, I was a teacher's pet as a child. I used to be <laughs> twitch. My hand would just be up in the air. Um, is it the fact that they are both now being paid commensurate to other footballers yeah uh, Andy do you know what it is as well um, no I was going to make an absolutely stupid and ridiculous guess so I'll let Esau tell us the actual no, please go one. ahead you could be right you could be right Andy because some of your guesses are actually brilliant like about um, well yeah go on <laughs> so go on what, what is your guess Andy um, they've got more men than women now associated in their football no 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 it is <laughs> Actually, no, do you know what? That, that, well, yeah, that, well, you never know um, with Brazil, of course. But uh, listen, the whole story is this, is that 
both the men's teams and lay and women's teams for England and Brazil would be paid identical. So the Brazilian ladies, well, like the the uh, you know one the, the English national team players will get the same amount as um, I was going to say Gareth Bale, who he plays for Wales, um, as Jamie Vardy, for example, when he comes back playing, of course, for Harry Kane. Eastall, um, is that a good thing? So I, I I'm sure there's going to be a group of feminists outside my house um, at some point giving out about this. I think it is very much dependent. I think it's great for the women's players, female players involved. I think it really has to be, you have to set a high standard, but you also need to be commensurate to what they're attracting. So the Brazilian women's team, I'm assuming they're attracting big viewership. Similar to the Lionesses, they do have more and more support building. I think you need to make the female game more attractive. And if the FA, or again, their Brazilian equivalent, are happy to do that. I know Australia are also, I don't know if they've actually done that or in the process of doing so. Um, but I think you also need to be realistic with the finances. Some some football organisations are going to be able to do that. Some aren't. And some, like in men's and women's sports in general, you have to look at the viewership, the sponsorship and the resources. Okay. Andy, should women be paid the same as men? Well, I agree with with, with Esau on a, on a few things there that you, you certainly do need to look into the resources. And if you if you were to, I think this is, it's it's good, but it's also quite dangerous if you're going to be setting an example now where women in other sports are going to turn around and say, well, if they're getting it, why can't we? And football is a very very different thing with large viewership, as as we mentioned there. Um, as, for the women's game, it, you get, it gets a lot of coverage now. Um, for other sports, not so much. So if, if women golfers, for example, were to turn around and start demanding that they get the same prize money um, for the, the Open Championships and majors, then clearly they can't do that. But then there's going to be a discrepancy and you'll see a lot of keyboard warriors and all kinds of, you know, it, it could drag on for decades. So it needs to be carefully done rather than a, a, a knee-jerk reaction to to what has been happening since the um, since the Women's World Cup in football, um, so yeah, it's it's a positive, but it needs to be done in a in a manner that is actually taking into consideration um, that some of these associations in sports will fold if they don't have the money to actually pay them in. Listen, I, I mean, this is great that we're talking sense on capital sports. It's quite unusual for us, of course. Um, and I, I will say that you know, if we look at tennis, so in the Grand Slams, men and women are playing the same. But a lot of the women's players, um, even the, the lower rank or ones who are not making it to the, say, the, the, the last eight or last 16 of Grand Slams, they kind of go, well, do you know what? We shouldn't be getting same, paid the same as men. Our own Kachibichkova would say the same thing because we're not playing five sets. You know, and so there is that kind of difference as well. And as you both said very correctly, um, if, the, if, the, if there's not bums and seats and ticket sales and sponsorship and TV deals, it's very hard to justify it. But again, you know, it is a little bit about respect as well. Um, Isol, back to you just one last time before we go out to break. Um, look, looking at, uh, just say, the, the, the general situation, we're speaking with Jonathan Higgins uh, about fans going into games uh, in Ireland. I mean, how much of a hit is it? Because you'd be going to games on a regular basis. Uh, should be All-Ireland Final this weekend. I mean, it's... It's, it, did you find it really starting to bite now when you come into the, the, the really good part of the season? I think we're getting to a stage now where it's tough on fans. I think, obviously, seeing games at the weekend in rugby, there was so much on and they were 
Irish teams involved that people are watching and I suppose you're looking at big empty stadiums and thinking could we socially distance uh, fans in there and it, it is tough and then with the club championship which is currently going on in football and in hurling unfortunately there was this horrible amount of backlash over the weekend about certain games where county boards were having difficulty streaming them because we're in a situation where these are games that previously you would have had a few hundred people at it and now because we're starved of live sports in the sense that we can't attend games we could normally go to or may go to. People are looking um, to watch the games and when the technology fails because people aren't used to using it, there's a lot of backlash. I think as the winter months kind of drag on, we'll see a move, like people up until a few weeks ago here, we could still have 200 people at games, at GA that is, and we were seeing people go to creative lengths to watch a game, so on cherry pickers and, you know, all the normal things that you'd expect, looking through gaps and hedges. But I think as the winter months go on, it's going to become a bit tougher. And I think we are going to miss being able to go to games. Um, and I just, I don't know how realistically how realistically soon we'll be seeing people okay. going through gates. Okay. Uh, Andy, before we go to break, uh, one last little question for you. Uh, looking at the European Nation League's game, League games, um, I mean, very, very strange situation, no atmosphere, pumped in music. Um, do you think that, you know, people are starting to go, oh, hold on, like, you know, this, this is not fun? Um, I, I don't think it's it's necessarily about the fun. I, I, I think there's, there's two concerns. I think... Um, if you take the Republic of Ireland, that's only their second defeat at home since they lost to Denmark in the playoffs um, for the World Cup. So having fans in the ground definitely has an impact on the results at the moment. So from a club perspective or a national perspective, there, there would be a massive urgency to get people back in. Uh, and fans are obviously desperate for it as well. Uh, at the same time, we're now seeing the numbers of uh, new cases in Spain, France, the UK... Uh, going up to what it the, the sort of numbers we had pre-lockdown, um, so it's particularly bad timing, I think, for for fans in terms of getting their hopes up that we will be going back into grounds anytime soon. Okay, okay, guys, uh, I know you're going to be back with us after the break. So, folks, we're going to go to the break right now. We're coming back with Alex B with Isolt and Andy Mack at the top of the next hour. So, we are going to go out. We're going to pop up a wee bit. This is Apollo 440, and don't stop the rock. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. <laughs> Can't stop the rock, can't stop the rock, can't stop the rock. 